Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host tonight, Michelle Clare. Michelle, how are you tonight? I am doing wonderful. How are you, Patricia? Well, as you know, we are shivering away here in New England, and I know it's so warm out there, and I just want you to get a big fan and point it in our direction. So, I would love so to. So we can finally <laughs> warm up. Oh, my gosh. We've never seen such cold weather so late in the season. So I can't wait for it to go away and for summer to arrive. But you're already there. What are you, up in the 80s? Yeah, I think today we're about 89 or 90. So we're we're already, well, that's not summer for Phoenix, but we're definitely in spring. <laughs> yeah, well, I am so happy to hear somebody is. <laughs> Definitely not us <laughs> here in Massachusetts, that's for sure. Well, we've got a great show for everybody tonight. We have a medical intuitive. Dr. Lottie is going to be joining us in just a few minutes. We have a lot to talk about because there are so many health issues out there today and so many ways we need to take a good, strong look at this, how we are living our lives, how, what our lifestyle choices are, what are the things we're doing that are affecting our health, and what can we do to empower ourselves so we don't have to run to traditional medicine and get into pharmaceuticals forever, which also have a lot of side effects. So are there alternatives to this? And there are. So we have Dr. Lottie. She's going to be telling us all about her fascinating life and what she does with her patients. Very, very different. So, Michelle, first of all, tell us what you're up to. You haven't been here in a couple of weeks, so want to know all about what you're offering for groups and sessions and everything else. Absolutely. Well, I'm certainly staying busy. I've got individual sessions available. I have um, in May some in-person events coming up in North Scottsdale. So for the people in the Phoenix area, come on down to that. Um, they're going to be sound and energy healing and mediumship readings. Um, and then I also have some online events with webinars and also group readings. So I can read you wherever you are in the world. Oh, that's wonderful. That is exciting. Well, I wish you were able to have joined us last week. And I'm hoping we will get Tom Dongo back with his friend, the mysterious Z. Because... This man that Tom brought to the show apparently has had close encounters, up close and personal encounters, with seven extraterrestrials that he met in the jungle. Quite a fascinating show. So I want you to know, Michelle, I 
invited them back, and I also asked if the ETs themselves would be interested in being interviewed. Now, that would be a fascinating show, wouldn't it? That would be. That'd be pretty exciting. Yes. So that was. I extended the invitation, and hopefully Z will pass that along, and if they're amenable to it, we will interview them with the utmost respect, as we do every guest. So it would be, I think, a first, and I'm all for firsts. So... <laughs> So why not? This will be great. You've got to have a first. Why, it should be us not? and you, right? Uh, of course. <laughs> uh, us, absolutely. I mean, we do bring the best guests, I think, in the world to the show, to our audience. And <clears throat> it all has a purpose. It has. We always try to bring the best information. You guys make up your mind what you want to do with it. And we'll take it from there. But. In the meantime, I also want to direct everybody to our Facebook page. Please like us and follow us there and Twitter as well. There's a story there. It's very interesting. And I've heard this story before. And it's about a battle that took place between the Choctaw Indians and Bigfoot. So, as you all know, we've had people on the show saying how Bigfoot's wonderful and gentle and this and that. And even Tom Doggo said, no, Bigfoot's fine. Well, back in 1855, apparently not so fine. And we also have to consider that when it comes to Bigfoot, there may be a number of different tribes with different beliefs, with different ways of life. And in 1855, 17 children went missing from the tribe. And this group of Choctaw warriors and also some soldiers set off to try to find whoever was stealing these children. And what they found were Bigfoot. So they had quite the all-out battle, and it's on our Facebook page. You can take a look at the story there. Apparently there are people that have gone to this site, and they have found the graves, the 17 graves of the children. That uh, These children, they did find their bodies. They did bury them, but it was... An incredible battle between or among the Choctaw, the soldiers, and the Bigfoot. So, uh, as we have always said to everybody in our audience, there's uh, good and bad in everything. So, whether it's the Fae, whether it's Bigfoot, I know there will be some that, that will disagree with that, but we certainly have heard from people that have had great experiences and then not so great experiences. Take a look at that story it's fascinating. And, of course, we have all kinds of UFO stuff that's always going on lately. There's lots of sightings. They can't hide them anymore. They're all over the place. So take a look, and we've got some cool stuff there for you to watch on video or just read about. So if you have a story that you want to share, just get a hold of us. We'll be happy to tell your story on the air. So let's get to our guest tonight. We have Dr. Lottie Valentin. She is the intuitive physician. She is a naturopathic medical doctor. She's an author. She's an evidential medium, an ancestral healer, and an international keynote speaker. She is the author of Med School After Menopause, The Journey of My Soul, an inspirational story about transformation, healing, and spirituality which won first place in the category of spiritual leadership in August 2021. This award recognizes truly world-changing books that contribute to positive global change.
change. Now, Dr. Lottie has lived a fascinating life so far, and I'm sure it's only going to get more fascinating from here. She has had two near-death out-of-body experiences, which resulted in her becoming clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient, and activating her life path. She was then guided to attend medical school as well as become an author and evidential medium. Now, Dr. Lottie completed her medical school prerequisites and was accepted into medical school at the age of 54. Amazing. Now, Dr. Lottie is also the host of her own podcast, Dr. Lottie, Science with Soul, to help people create a path to healing their own lives, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and to bridge the gap between science and soul. Dr. Lottie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're thrilled we to have you here. We are excited to have you. Yes. Well, thank you. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting time where people are becoming much more accepting of alternative healing. And you've got everything. I mean, you're an intuitive. You're also a psychic medium. And I, I'm just dying to know how in the world you work with your patients. But... Before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about what drew you into the medical field at, at this at a, in their 50s, at a later age? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, let me think. So I would say I was born a healer, and ever as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a doctor. And my dad was a general practitioner. And when my mom returned to work, I was the last kid out of four, and she became a hospital floor administrator. One of my brothers became a surgeon. And so all my parents' friends as a child were back then, because I'm born in the late 1950s, so I grew up during the 1960s. And back then, it was this very traditional values. The, the man was a doctor, and then the women were the nurses. And whenever I said as a child I wanted to be a doctor, my dad would always tell me, no, you don't want to be a doctor. It takes too long. You want to, you know, have family. You know, you should be a nurse. And even though, you know, I love my dad, but it was just the era that I was raised in that that was the norm kind of of the society back then. So I was definitely born as a healer, and I've been told that, um, by my teachers at Arthur Finsley College in England where I studied mediumship as well as shamans that I have worked with. And everybody tells me, you were a born healer, you were a born medium. (laughs) But that Mm -hmm. was all suppressed growing up because I did not believe in anything. I was a complete atheist. I was confirmed when I was 14 because I was born and raised in the country of Sweden, which is in northern Europe in Scandinavia. And I moved to the United States when I was 21. And back then... Uh, when I was born in the late 1950s, you were automatically a Lutheran. If you were born in Sweden, you were part of the Lutheran Church, and they were the, the it was the church that kept track of all the people. So when you needed a passport, uh, we actually went to the church to get the passport. And I don't think it was, I think it was in the 1970s or maybe 1980s that they finally separated the the church and the state. Mm-hmm. So having so I always had that in me, but then, of course, I, I followed my, my mind, not my heart, going through life. So 
I went to business school. I majored in management information systems. I worked for IBM as a programmer and systems analyst uh, in the 1980s after I graduated from college. And I had absolutely no belief in the afterlife, the spirit world, angels, God, you name it. I was a complete um, scientist, uh, materialistic uh, point worldview of how I exist in this dimension. And, you know, when I had my near-death experiences, it really threw me for a loop because I didn't believe in anything. I didn't believe you could leave the body. I didn't believe there was a spirit world. And so after I had my near-death experiences, my life changed drastically. And that after my first, sorry, after my first near-death experience, sorry, I'm going to have some water. I've been talking too much. <laughs> so after my first experience, um, I've been doing some recording. I'm working on this big project for the Monroe Institute. So it's been late night recordings lately. Um, but we just finished the project last night. So if my voice gives out a little bit, it's because I've been speaking way too much. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so after my first near-death experience, um, I was hemorrhaging to death in the ER. And that next day in the hospital, I heard... So first I leave my body in the ER. I have this whole experience. And then the next day I hear my sister-in-law in the corner of the ceiling in my room telling me that everything is going to be okay. And I'm thinking, I, I, must, I must be losing my mind. This can't be happening. Yesterday I left my body and I'm outside my body. And now I hear my sister-in-law talking to me. And so everything transformed. And it just came forward on my uh, clairvoyant ability, which I'm sure I was born with, but it had been suppressed that whole time. And then going through life, and then I had another near-death experience two years later because I got really sick from the first one, and I had what's called bone marrow suppression, and then I had another near-death experience. And that second experience is when I met spirit guides, and I stood in the, the light that people talk about, the unconditional love and light. And that is really what activated my life path and the messages that I received during that near-death experience. And so then that guided me for the next 12 years on this path of becoming more and more clairvoyant and seeing things before they happened. And then eventually, after 12 years, I, when the spirit world spoke to me, or my spirit guides came in and spoke to me, I knew I had to listen because every message for 12 years had come true. And so at that point, they told me I had to go to medical school and they told me I had to integrate the East and the West and I had to write two books, no wait, three. By the way, I've gotten that message from two of the teachers that are in the college and two mediums here in the United States. So I've gotten that message four times plus once myself, so that's five. So after I got that message at Arsifin the college, I really took it seriously. I said, okay, this is, this is something I have to do. And so then I was guided uh, to to go to medical school, and the spirit said I had to become a doctor. And so that was in uh, 2004, and I started doing my prereqs, uh, you know, organic chemistry, biology, physics, math, all those classes. And I was a business major as an undergraduate, so I had to start from the beginning. I didn't have – I had to start with – advanced placement high school biology because I couldn't even take the freshman biology because I didn't have any kind of sciences um, to show. And also I hadn't gone to high school in the United States. 
So I really had to start from the beginning, and but I trusted. I trusted those messages. I trusted in the spirit world, and and then I applied to medical school, and I got in. I was accepted. I, I applied to two schools that I was my first uh, choices, and I was accepted at both. Wow. Meant to be. But, you know, they didn't ask you to do some small thing. (laughs) This is a tall order. Go to medical school. My goodness. Yeah. And I knew I had to follow that. And to me, I look at it as, you know, what do we sign up for when we sit on the other side in the spirit world and we're ready to incarnate and we say, oh, you know, I'll take you ticket 563 and ticket 17 and, oh, I'll throw in a couple of more tickets. It'll be easy. And then we get down to the earth plane and we have no memory of what we signed up for. And then we go about our life and then we uh, tend to listen to our minds like I did. I constantly said, no, I'm going to. I, the sciences are too hard. I'm just going to major in business and computer science. That's easier. And I kept following my mind instead of listening to my, my soul's purpose, my, my true essence, my heart, my heart destiny, as I call it. Because the mind has a tendency to, to interfere with who we truly are because we are trained to think logically and, and do things logically. And we have to support ourselves. We've got to pay our bills and I can't do this. And when I saw that degree, because I was looking on the computer in my living room in 2004, and I said, you know, I want to go back to to work. I'm going to rejoin the workforce, but I don't want to go back to technology. I want to do something in the healing profession because I had figured out that I needed to do something with healing after my journey. And I found this medical school online, and I said, oh, I can't do that. It's a real medical school. I can't go to med school. I'm in my 40s already. And I walked from my living room to the kitchen, and those spirit guides dropped in and gave me the the message of writing books and becoming a doctor. And within a week, I was enrolled in those pre-med classes, the prereqs. Wow. Because at that point, I had just learned to listen. Because when the the spirit world tells you that this person is sick, this person is going to die, you're going to be in an accident, and, you know, all of these things. And then they all come true. And it's just nonstop for 12 years. So when you get at that point, it was just, okay, I got to do this. But then when I got to medical school, you know, I would, I would, I would meditate. So I meditate every day and I would meditate and I said, okay, spirit world, I'm here. What do I do now? And I got the same message for four years. Just focus on your, on your studies and, you know, graduate, become a doctor. And, you know, when you get out, we will tell you what the next step is. And so for four years, and I'm in medical school, and it is so much work, and it's, you know, every every day started with a four-hour lecture from 8 to 12 with 50 PowerPoint slides per hour. So that's 200 PowerPoint slides a day, so it's 1,000 PowerPoint slides a week. This is just your main course. And then you have classes on sometimes until the evening, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and then you've got to go back and do the same thing the next day. And then they will tell you, oh, we're going to have a quiz on Friday, 10 questions. And you're thinking on a thousand PowerPoint slides, and I got to get seven out of ten to to even stay in medical school. So think about how many concepts there are on each of these slides. So if there's you know one concept to memorize or five concepts to memorize, just thousands of things to memorize every week. Plus you have all the other classes. So you get very good at hearing something once and trusting that you have it. You know when when wow. you take that test, whatever comes to you first is you learn to trust that and you learn to 
you'll learn to learn quickly. Medical school, I tell everybody, medical school is not hard. What's hard is the speed that you have to absorb all that information. It's not any harder than undergraduate chemistry, organic chemistry, biology, and all those classes. It's just the speed that you have to learn everything because we carried 32 credits in 11 weeks. That's a quarter. So we carried mm. 32, by 30 to 32 credits in a quarter. So that's 120 credits a year compared to undergraduate is, um, what is this, like 32 credits for, for an yeah. entire year as an undergraduate. We did that in, in a quarter of that time. So oh my it's gosh. just yeah. So you have you know you go through final, you go through midterms after five weeks and finals at week eleven or twelve, and you have eleven or twelve exams. So you have two finals, sometimes three finals in one day. Oh you go my from gosh. one final exam to the next. Yeah, <laughs> it is unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know how we how we all make it through, but we do because you get better at it. You know when you train your mind. That first quarter is definitely the hardest because you just feel very overwhelmed by the speed that the information is coming at you. And even the younger students that came straight from undergraduate, some of them had master's degrees, but it really wasn't any different from for them than it was for me, even though I was older. And I think to a certain extent, it's actually beneficial to be older because you, you require less sleep. If I had done this in my 20s, I could never have done it. I required too much sleep when I was in my 20s. <laughs> I needed you know, 10 hours of sleep. Now I can get by on three or four hours of sleep for, for a good week or two. But when you're younger, that's harder. You require more sleep. So, it, And then you also have all your life experiences to draw on. You've seen things. You've heard things and many diseases. Some Some family member had something or you heard stories about it. So... Anybody who's thinking about changing their lives out there, just go for it. It's the, you know, start with the small baby steps in the right direction. Take, I always tell people, if you're thinking of making a transition, just get yourself back into college. Take any class. I don't care if it's guitar lessons or piano lessons or drawing. It's just that, you know, getting back in the routine, being on campus, learning how to use every online tool because college isn't what it was when I went to my undergraduate degree back in the 80s when they wrote on the blackboard everything is electronic now it's all powerpoints you download things and because it's all on powerpoints the lessons fly the teachers fly through the material and there's also a lot more material to cover so when i took my prereq classes for biology the teacher said and this is back in 2004 2005 in that time frame he said mm-hmm. they, they already have so much material, he wishes it was two classes because they can't, they can't cover it all. But I think it's still the same because the college education is tied into student loans and all of that. And, you know, if they make it one more class, now they have to change everything. But right. just go for it. Anybody right. who's listening, just make that transition and, and take the baby steps in the, in the new direction. That's great advice, and you're certainly living proof that you can achieve your goal, and a pretty lofty one, I have to say. It's amazing what you've done. So we have a a caller on the line. Let me bring them forward. Area code 302. I'm going to bring you live. Hi, this is Jackie. Hello, Jackie. Do you have a question for Dr. Lottie? Um, Well, I have a comment and a question, but my comment is... uh, 
I mean, I didn't do anything as as big as you did, but I did go back to um, get a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling in my mid fifties, and um, wow. and so that's what I'm doing now um, because I I was in a sales position and I was successful at it, but it, I just it wasn't um, it wasn't as fulfilling as like a counseling career. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. Um, so I've been in the field uh, about five years now. Um, and I feel like I am in the right place. That's terrific. Uh, <clears throat> you um, made a big change, I, and it was the right one, you feel? I feel like it is. I, I was wondering if you, um, you know, if you could let me know if that is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I would say absolutely yes, because you already made the transition and you, you went for it, you know, even though you were in your 50s. So congratulations to you for, for trusting in that instinct and your heart and your true essence of what you're here to do. Okay. That's, that's just amazing. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, I enjoyed listening to your story. That was, that's amazing that what you did. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, keep listening because we're just going to dig into this a little bit deeper and find out more. So thank you so much for your call, Jackie. All right. Thank you. So, Dr. Lottie, I'm curious. You have so much to offer your patients. Now, I am, I am not against traditional medicine. I'm cautious of traditional medicine. Let me put it that way. And you have so much more. Because you are an intuitive, you're also a medium, you also do ancestral healing. When somebody comes in with, let's say, a chronic condition, how do you work with them? Where do you start? If I see them as a patient in my clinic, so I I work two different ways. I see people uh, under my medical license in the clinic, where I work as a physician, and then I work with people spiritually in my spiritual business, which is called Divine Spiritual Essence. And in Divine Spiritual Essence, I'm going to work differently because I'm working more intuitively, so I'm working more as a medical intuitive. People just show, sometimes show up on my screen and they say, what's wrong with me? And then <laughs> we take it from there, and I say, well, I feel this, this, and this. And we tune into that. And when I work intuitively with people, Many times the people that are guided to see me or guided to schedule a session with me are people that uh, either they have had the condition, typically many people have had a condition for a very long time. We're talking 10, 15, 20 years, and they've had all the different tests, ultrasound, MRIs, uh, blood labs, and they'll either say, we can't find anything wrong, which is not very fun to hear when you're in chronic pain or have some chronic condition. Or sometimes they've been given different kinds of medications, but they're not helping. And what's fascinating is, as I'm sure you are aware, is that we all get guided. We all have spirit guides. And there's that little tap on the shoulder that's directing them to me. And it's just typical that they will have some strange condition that, Many times we don't really learn very much about in medical school. It's one of those conditions that 
Here is one slide. This is a condition. And if you ever see a patient with this, then, you know, send them to a neurologist or send them to a surgeon or, you know, this other uh, nephrologist or whatever it could be. And we don't really learn much about it. But then people that come to me, for some reason, it will be something I know about. It will be some rare condition that typically we don't learn about that I know because I either had a relative that had it or I've had other clients that had this condition. But that's how the spirit world works. They guide you many times to these people. And I feel that many times when I work spiritually with people, it is that the hopelessness that these people feel that have been sick for a long time and they've tried everything and there is nothing that works. Where, do you, where are you going to turn? You're going to turn to a medical intuitive or a medium or a psychic or someone that can give you some insight to what is going on with our body. Why is it that they're not healing? Why is it that none of the medications are working or they can't get well? And so that is when I work as a medical intuitive. But even when I work as a physician, so, of course, being a medium and an intuitive, it's not like you can just turn it off when you work as a physician. But I still have to work under my medical license because now I'm working in my clinic. I'm working as a physician. But it's a little bit different. So many times, um, there are times when they will say, they come in for a headache. I have a headache, but then I see something else. Oh, no, they have a problem with their liver or they have <laughs> some problem with their lungs. So something deeper is going on. And then I start asking questions around that after I've talked to them about their headache. And I, that might bring up, do you have any, you know, symptoms of, you know, shortness of breath or a cough that's been lingering? And, you know, invariably they'll say, oh, yes, I do. And then, okay, well, why don't we run this extra test? But then those, that information is coming to me via my spirit guides or the client spirit guides, you know, it's, it's being fed to me saying, look here. You know, the headache is nothing. That's something we can just control easily, but there is this underlying problem. So even when you, uh, when you work as a physician, you know, that intuition is going gonna, is gonna to tell me what to, what to do with this patient, and it's going to make me uh, go a little bit different about the treatment plan because then I'm going to suggest, well, why don't we do this extra lab work or why don't we do this extra ultrasound or X-ray or whatever it is to see if there's something there you know, without worrying the, we're trying to worry the patient, you know, just to make sure, because this has been going on for a while. So it just, it, it, you work with it slightly different, but I think that, I think a lot of physicians are intuitive. It's just that they don't like to talk about it because medicine is a science and we have to work under our license and we have to code everything. We got to chart everything, right? It's a very systematic uh, and you go from A to B to C, you know, if somebody comes with this condition, then you do this kind of lab, and then you do this kind of um, ultrasound, and then, you know, you go down the path to see what that, what that problem is. But then Right. Well, there's also something called that. There's something called standard of care, which I think is incredibly yeah. limiting for physicians, because then you're forced to follow a certain standard of care, in quotes, that doesn't even have to work. It's just a standard of care, and that's what they expect you to do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty discouraging. It's so it's the gold standard. The gold standard in the United States is to do X, Y, Z. It's the standard of care. 
And so you have, to, right. you know, as working as a physician, I'm still going to have to suggest that. I'm going to tell them this is the standard of care. This is, you know, what we do when we see that the lab values come back this way. This is what we do next. But working uh, intuitively is very different because we can tune into, uh, we tune into the body in a, in a different way versus when all my time is consumed by making sure I'm charting things correctly, I'm coding things correctly, right? So my mind is very uh, much in this in the physical world, in the physical dimension. But when I see people on my spiritual side, you know, I don't have to worry about any charting or doing anything. I can just completely tune in to that person and be just like when you work as a medium, as you know, you know, we tune into the spirit world, but it's not like we're sitting there charting and coding and <laughs> and thinking about yeah, right. how to break everything down. Doing all those left brain takes, things, yeah. Right. You have to sort of merge into the spirit world to to work to work like that, to work as a medium or psychic or intuitive. You can't be uh, bogged down in this physical dimension by typing and coding and charting everything. So... So, of course, it's going to work slightly different. That's why when I work as a physician, if I get a message from, from a spirit guide, I'm going to trust it and I'm, going to, I'm still going to follow it. I'm going to bring that up with the patient and say, you know, have you had any of these symptoms? And then, you know, suggest labs or uh, other workups. Can you tell now, us about when an you... experience where you got a message from spirit on a patient that was either surprising or something you weren't expecting? Uh, yeah, I've seen um, oh, endometriosis is always a good one uh, because I've had so many patients uh, with that. Uh, and again, it's just one of those conditions that tend to be misdiagnosed a lot because you can't see endometriosis on an MRI or ultrasound or lab work. And you can really only see it if you have surgery. And that is a condition that gets misdiagnosed a lot. Um, and there are times when um, people complain about some other problem, and then I ask them, do you have really terrible menstrual cramps? Because I'll hear the spirit world will tell me they either I'll see it, I'll see that they have endometriosis somewhere in their body, or the spirit world will just tell me they have endometriosis or fibroids. And then we start talking about, you know, their their menstrual issues. And then, of course, that's what turns up, and then I can guide them to the correct uh, treatment for that. That's so, wonderful. That really is. With, ahead, with things Patricia. like this, do you do you find, like with endometriosis, for example, mm-hmm. do you find that there are spiritual connections to this manifesting in their body? Like, does anybody turn up, one of your guides or one of theirs, and say, the reason this is here is because, and it has something to do with a family issue or an emotional issue or a genetic issue? Do you get that information? I would say all of them were born with endometriosis. They incarnated Hmm. with endometriosis already there. And typically, many of them have had terrible menstrual problems since they were in their teens or since the first first time they had their menses. It's very common. And they're typically misdiagnosed through their teenage years, uh, given birth control pills and things to suppress the symptoms, which doesn't treat the endometriosis. So... Now, I'm not, I'm not a surgeon or an expert in that, but I know, you know, where to direct them to get the correct treatment because it's often not treated correctly um, by the mainstream OBGYNs uh, because they also don't have 
that uh, expertise because what we're learning is that endometriosis requires um, excision surgery, which is, means that you're cutting it out. The way I look at it is it's more, to me, when I look at endometriosis, I think it behaves more like a cancer, even though it's not a cancer, because they have found endometrial tissue or endometriosis on every single organ in your body. You can get it on your wow. skin, on your liver. Uh, you can oh have my. endometriosis on your heart, on your diaphragm. It can even be on your brain. There are people that, for example, have nosebleeds when they have their menses because they have endometrial tissue that is bleeding. People bleed from their belly buttons. So that is because and it can, people can have kidney failure, um, and there, it's not discovered until, you know, they go into kidney failure because that endometrial tissue is growing. Uh, typically, what I've heard many times uh, is it's on the ureter, so that's what connects the kidneys to the bladder, and it can grow into the ureters and block that flow of urine, so now it's going back up to the kidney, causing kidney failure. It can grow deep into the muscular layers. It can um, be on your rectum, on your colon, on your you know intestines, so that people have pain when they go to the bathroom. Uh, it can be anywhere in your body, and that that endometrial tissue, you know, connects to other things. And so you get these what's called adhesions, and then that pulls on your entire pelvic floor. People have pain with, uh, you know, intercourse. They have painful orgasms. Uh, there almost any any symptom. Uh, you can be shortness, have shortness of breath uh, from running because you have endometriosis on your diaphragm. So it is my a, it is God, you're right. It's so it's it's just you're describing something that does act like cancer. It's so invasive. Yes, and it's consistently misdiagnosed. It's just uh, it's just incredible. So you know what? It's going to take us twenty years, I'm sure, to, until we get all the OBGYNs on board. And and there are about I would say maybe a hundred surgeons in the United States. They're called excision surgeons that are paving the way for better treatments for endometriosis. So it's just a I matter of... I hope they find something. Oh, That's a horrible... Oh. The way you talk about this, I had no idea. Did you know this, Michelle, that it was could go anywhere like that? No, I, I had no idea about that either. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, most but people don't, yeah. Now, is it related to a hormone imbalance? No. That's what they teach you, though, in, in med school, and that's why the pharmaceutical industry tries to treat it with birth control and, su- and suppress the hormones, but it's really not. It's, like I said, it I behaves see. more like a cancer than anything else. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't treat it. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are always going to be people that do an anti-inflammatory diet and then things get better. And then somebody right. else does something something else and they get, they took some herbs and they got better and they might have had mild endometriosis but for people that have severe um, issues with that I can tell you right now that's not going to help they're going to have to have surgery to correct that and you know we see people in our society and there's so much online and on social media that says oh just do this anti-inflammatory diet and take these supplements and and then you uh, meditate and you do spiritual healings and you do all these different things and that's going to fix it. It's not. And it might, it might if you have very, you know, really, if you have mild endometriosis, just like somebody who has cancer and drinks celery juice or carrot juice and then heals from his cancer, 
it doesn't mean that the other 100,000 people with cancer are going to heal from that celery juice. Some people are going to have to do the traditional Western medicine and do chemotherapy because that's their ticket. They incarnated to go and do the chemotherapy and then heal, heal their cancer and then live another 40, 50 years. But everybody's ticket that we took in the spirit world before we incarnated has a different number on it. And so some people are going to heal from the celery juice. Other people are going to heal from surgery. But there is no one glove that fits all because we are all unique individuals. We all have unique DNA. We all have unique experiences in childhood. And we all have unique diets, environmental toxins, and exposures. And you can't, there is no such thing as saying, you know, treat this one thing with this, uh, you know, carrot juice and you're going to, and you're going to be well or taking these supplements. It doesn't work like that. So you have to remember everybody's unique and have a unique path to healing. Well, that's true. And I agree with you that uh, these doctors that get on and talk about autoimmune disease and just do this diet and take these supplements and you'll be fine, it might give some direction and something to look into. But you're right. Everybody's different. It doesn't mean that that system is going to be the ticket for you. It may not take care of everything, and oftentimes it doesn't, especially with autoimmune diseases because they're so complex. And a lot of the inner workings of those diseases, most people don't even understand. So it's it's way beyond, I think, what a lot of doctors even think. So it's mm-hmm. I'm very happy to hear you say this. But the other thing is this. <clears throat> I see... So many people that have chronic illnesses or cancer or whatever, and they hand everything over to their doctor. Fix me. And a lot of them don't want to take the time and the effort to really check in with themselves and find what is the best treatment for me. Like you're saying, sometimes it's a combination of chemo and alternative Sometimes it's just alternative, but I see way too many people just handing over all their power to their doctors and expecting that they're going to figure it out. They don't figure it out a lot of the time. I think you're very unique, Dr. Lottie, in what you know and what you can offer. But overall, I mean, most of the doctors out there are not Dr. House, like from TV, who's going to be a good detective, you know, he's going to figure it out. They don't. No. That chronic, Western medicine is terrible at chronic diseases. We're re- Western medicine is excellent when it comes to acute conditions. If you have a heart attack, you're in a car accident, anything acute like right. that. Western medicine is right. amazing at saving lives. Western medicine is terrible at chronic conditions. Um, it's, you know, it's just, it's, they kind of have that approach, one glove fits all. You go to the doctor, you have a headache, here's, here's the medication. But, you know, you go see uh, a naturopath, there is, I think, over 100 remedies, homeopathic remedies just for a headache. So was the headache on the left side of your head or right side on the head or it's on the top of your head, back of your head? Does it shoot to the eye, the ear, you know, your neck? And all these different to find the, the correct treatment homeopathically for a condition. So looking at chronic conditions, so going back to the endo, uh, endometriosis, many times there are uh, conditions that people get, they have endometriosis, but endometriosis have a tendency 
to cause other autoimmune conditions. So people end up with lupus or multiple sclerosis um, and other autoimmune conditions like that because the endometriosis, but the endometriosis was there first because it sort of, sort of wreaks havoc with, with the rest of the body. And, and, and then again, here we go, the Western medicine, um, you know, treating that is we go back to the birth control pill and, and more medications because now we have some other conditions on top of it. And it just gets worse and worse and worse until that person is come to, you know, the, the end of their road and they start finding people to work with spiritually to, you know, maybe, because people tend to think maybe it's something spiritually. Maybe, you know, I did tune in to something or I did something wrong. But, you know, depending on the condition, many times it, that people actually have just been misdiagnosed and they just don't know where to turn to get the right treatment. But then we have ancestral, you know, we also have the ancestral healing where there is um, – have you ever heard of the of the um, the research paper epigenetic inheritance of ancestral odor fear conditioning? Have you ever heard of that? No, no, I haven't. Have you heard of that? Okay, no. Mm-mm. So that so that is a good. Let me start by telling you about that research, and then we'll go in a little bit to the ancestral healing part. But that was a research study that happened back in 2013. And it was led by Brian Diaz at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta. And it probably provides some of the best evidence yet for the inheritance of memories and traits across generations. And what they did is they took um, male mice and they exposed them to a smell, a cherry blossom smell. And every time they smelled this cherry blossom smell, they gave them a little electric shock. So the, the male mice, they learned to fear the cherry blossom smell because they knew if they smelled that, they were going to get an electric shock. Then they took the sperm from these male mice and they artificially inseminated female mice with the sperm of the mice that had been receiving the electric shock. And then they gave birth to these little mice pups. And these little, these made baby mice feared the, the cherry blossom smell. They got really jumpy and, and scared around that smell, even though their mother had never been exposed to the smell and they had never been exposed to the smell. And they also had more receptors, something called an M71 receptor in the mouse. And they were, had more M71 receptors, which meant that they could smell the cherry blossom smell at even lower, uh, lower frequency or lower smells than um, the original mice. So they were, very, they were very sensitive to that smell because they had more receptors to smell it. So when you think of that and how that traumatic experience for those male mice was passed down via the sperm to the baby mice. Now, if you look at people, so there is something called ancestral healing uh, counseling, uh, family constellation therapy, so I have studied that as well after I graduated from medical school. And when you see um, somebody having a problem, so let's say I see a young woman and she's in her early 30s and she has tremendous fear. She gets panic attacks whenever she hears sirens. It doesn't matter what sirens, you know, a firefighter, ambulance, police, any kind of siren, and she gets a panic attack. 
But then when you start asking questions, have you ever been in a traumatic event that, you know, ambulance police came? No, there's no traumatic events in her history. But then you start asking about her grandfather. Well, her grandfather served in the war, let's say World War II, and those the sirens went off and, you know, alarming everyone, take shelter because the, 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 the airplanes are coming, they're going to drop bombs. And every time it happened, Grandpa thought, this is the day I'm going to die. And so, he, you know, he lived through World War, and, War II, and he survived. And then he passed on this, this gene that when you hear a siren, you better, you know, take shelter, panic attack, just like the mice. And so that is what we know, and we even know specific gene markers, and they did research with uh, people that survived the Holocaust. And they can see that the genetic markers are passed down already uh, in humans to the grandchildren. And so they, I think one of the genes was the FKBP5 gene, and now they know some more genes as well. But those, the actions, so the actions, reactions, and interactions of your ancestors, those traumatic experiences, it doesn't matter what it was, that wasn't resolved, get passed down to the next generation. And so That's people scary. have... Huh? That's scary. The power right? of that yeah, so, is scary. Yeah, because we are connected to our ancestors via DNA, but also what I call the, the, the invisible grid, because we're all connected. So how do you treat people that are affected by trauma from the past that really wasn't their own? How do you treat that? Right. So then we have to go through and, um, you know, talk about, you know, what's their birth order and where um, in the, the, you know, how many siblings do they have? Are they the first child, the third child, the fifth child? And who were their parents and what were their experiences and the grandparents' experiences? And we have to, um, hold on, let me just take a sip of water. We have to look at the family history to see where it's coming from. You know, where in that family lineage are you picking up from an unresolved trauma? And typically, it's the it's the actions and reactions that people didn't talk about. So, if you remember back as a child, every family has somebody that we don't talk about. And so as a child, you may have said, right. you know, what about, what about yeah. Uncle Bobby? And then your mom turns to you and says, we don't talk about Uncle Bobby. <laughs> and you never really right. know what happened to Uncle Bobby or what he did wrong because we don't talk about him. The family is shameful. He did something bad. And that is an unresolved trauma. And whatever that Uncle Bobby did, that got passed down. You know, now some grandchild is, is you know, tied into that and has to resolve that. He will either, you know, repeat what he did or do something else or have similar experiences, similar diseases, emotions, or it could be anything because you could have a fear, an emotional fear of something. But even, um, even like, getting divorced at the same age, I've seen people, uh, people getting a divorce at the same age, let's say age 40, and when their mother was 40, her husband died. Their father died. And so the mother became alone when she was 40 because her husband died. 
And then now the daughter is becoming alone or single at the age of 40 through a divorce. And so she is experiencing the same feelings and emotions that her mother experienced at the exact same age. And I call it, that's the ancestor clock ticking. And I've seen that many times. It's the exact same age, same thing, same emotional uh, feelings or um, traumatic feelings are repeated. But it can also be disease. I've seen people getting a disease at the exact same age as their mother and even the same diseases. We're having this same experience, but through a different event. It's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I love it because it's, it's amazing. It's always people that, you know, are looking for something. Why am I attracting the wrong person? This is my third marriage. What is it that I'm not doing right? And many times that's also, it's an ancestral problem that keeps coming back. Right. So you have to just, you know, really just take it in. And it's so quite if you complex. heal it so, in the current person, then it heals it for future generations. Is that accurate? Yeah, so you heal, when you do ancestral healing, you heal back in time and forward in time for those that come after you. So even because if you're, you have you're a child. Resolving it, so it doesn't have to get passed down now to the next, you know, I always say, you know, this is the bucket you're holding on to. Whatever your ancestors didn't resolve, they put that ticket in your bucket. Now you're carrying the bucket. Whatever you don't resolve goes down to the next generation, and that's their ticket in their bucket. And it just gets passed down. But when you resolve something, you know, you can resolve it for your family lineage. It's, it's right. how so, we heal. So that's how I look at it. If I can heal, I were, you know, I'm trying to, the way I look at it, heal, I'm trying to heal the world by healing one person at a time. Because if I can create healing for someone, that person changes that all the physiological expressions within that body all the biochemistry everything changes when you heal and sometimes that can be an ancestral healing that it, that needs to take place just like um bruce lipton in the book uh the honeymoon effect the science of creating heaven on earth where he grew mm-hmm. different cells in different petri dishes he grew the the bone the muscle and fat cells in the different petri dishes when the petri dishes were in different environments, so right. we can, right. yeah. So we know that when we when we change, when we change our perception of our problem, or we understand why we have a problem, and maybe the problem is repeated uh, from your ancestors, you're repeating a problem that has happened in your family lineage. Your mom had the same problem. Your mom was also married, you know, three times or four times, and she couldn't find the right guy. Now you're married three times. And it, the pattern just repeats itself until you figure out why it's happening. So I guess this is my question. If it's, let's say, a 40-year-old woman's already had three kids, and then when she gets to 45, she decides to go get her ancestral healing. But the trauma that was passed down from her grandparents or whoever is already in the DNA that's passed on to the children who are already embodied. So then uh, can you explain um, how her healing, how does it, um, move forward to the DNA that the children are already carrying. Right. So if if the problem, if she has a problem that's also being exhibited in her children, if she heals it and then tells that child, this is why you're having this problem because I had the same problem and this is why it's happening, and explain it to that child, then, of course, that child is also going to heal. But I also look at it 
through the invisible grid, yeah, so that DNA is still there, but there's so much we don't understand about our existence. But the way I look at it mm-hmm. is if, that, if you're healing, if I'm healing something for my family, I'm, I'm healing it. I, I change that. I change that energetic pattern because I am connected to my children and to other people. We're all connected. We're all one in the end. We're all connected to everything. And that was one of the messages I received when I, during one of my near-death experiences because the spirit guide told me that everything on earth is connected to each other and everything on earth is connected up to the grid that spans around the earth. And so that is really what activated my life's path. And then you know, for the past you know, 29 years, almost 30 years now, trying to make sense out of all of this. But as it, this is a lifelong journey, we're all on a lifelong journey. So, you know, every, every time you think, oh, I solved, I solved it, now I know what it is, and then five years goes by and then something else <laughs> comes up and you say, oh, no, this is the right thing. But it's everything together in the end. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. But isn't it also about consciousness? I mean, how conscious you are? I had a friend who, her husband was just nasty. And he wasn't physically abusive, but he would always make these incredibly sarcastic comment, comments, very biting. You know, everybody else could laugh at them, but it was very hurtful to her and with good reason. And she had two boys. And she did not want them to think that that behavior was okay. And so she raised them in a way of understanding that, look, I'm not going to get a divorce right now and break up the family, but I want you to know that this behavior that your father does is not okay. And I don't ever want to see you do this to your girlfriend and then your wives. You need to know a different way of relating and not do what your father did. She explained things in such a way that these boys grew up to be really fine young men who did not do what their father did. She eventually, when the boys were old enough, she left. But she was able to help break that pattern by being aware of it and by, and by talking about it with her two sons. I think she did a phenomenal job. I really do. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing because it's it's hard to be in a situation like that and then be able to still guide your own children. And it sounds like she did a fabulous job and, and maybe also they weren't supposed to um, take on that type of behavior. But it's, it can still happen even if, even if the mother does bring awareness to it. They could still, you know, one of the boys could still, you know, re- repeat that behavior. Yeah, it's always free choice, but in this case, where I know the family, it's uh, it was quite remarkable in, in the way that she handled it, uh, being very aware, and then passing on awareness is what I'm I'm getting mm-hmm. at, awareness. Her mm-hmm. boys had that choice. Uh, so it was a very powerful thing to watch from the outside <clears throat> to see what they were doing. Because, yeah, this ancestral stuff is very tricky. I've also read studies where a mother might be thinking about aborting her baby, and that child is born with all kinds of challenges. I mean, not physical, but emotional challenges because of what the mother was considering doing. Even if she didn't follow through with that, it's still just that thought alone, that thought form 
had this powerful effect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's so one other thing I wanted to bring up, and Michelle, just just jump in, please, if you have any other mm-hmm. comments or questions. But this is really something I think. I'm going to go on the heels of what I said previously, where people turn over their power to their doctors rather than work with their doctors like you, Dr. Lottie, as a team player. Mm-hmm a team member who's going to help them get better. They just turn it over. Well, I have a friend who's on the show. Actually, we interviewed her last year. And she has scleroderma, terrible autoimmune uh-huh. disease, deadly, and it destroys your organs with scar tissue. Her intestines were so scarred that she could not <clears throat> eat, drink, or eliminate and mm. so her doctor said, we're going to have to remove your intestines. And that didn't sit well with my friend. So she said, how about something else? Can we think of another possibility? Well, this doctor got very proactive and said, there is a medication in Italy. And if we can get it here for you, I suggest you try it. It was Motegrity was the name of it. So... My friend got the medication. It was hugely expensive. It was like $500 a month. Uh, But she took it for a year at the low dose that her doctor had prescribed, and really nothing happened. So intuitively, she knew she had to triple the dose. So she did. Hmm. She said, what do I have to lose? She tripled the dose, and in three months, her intestines were totally healed. They're like a baby's. So this drug, it was an, obviously an off-label use, um, rebuilt her intestines and her esophagus. And so today, she eats, she drinks normally, she lives life to the fullest. But she helped figure out that the key to this was a much higher dose. And so that's what I'm talking about. With I really want to encourage people to work with people like you, Dr. Lottie, and also go inside to their own intuition and figure out what is the best way for me to approach this condition, this illness, this whatever it is. Because we also have our own answers, but we forget that we have those answers somewhere. Thank God my friend listened to herself, because even her doctor didn't come up with that solution. She did. And it was only three months of a high dose. She's never had to take it again. So, it's an amazing, yeah, it's amazing, but again, it wouldn't have happened had she not listened to her own inner voice to to do what she did. So, it is, it's an amazing story, and she goes on, on shows like ours to talk about it, to encourage people to not be afraid of what their inner voice is saying. Their inner voice is going to be right. So, and if they have somebody like you to work with, then they've really got a good team player. Yeah, I, I actually often tell my patients, listen, listen to your tu- intuition. And it, it, yes. there are times when people are, um, they're given herbs, <clears throat> for example, and then they'll say, well, you know, this one herb is supposed to be anti-inflammatory, and I, and I got it at Whole Foods or Sprouts or somewhere, and it's supposed to help, uh, you know, decrease the inflammation uh, in my intestines, but 
you know, and they keep taking it. And I say, well, wh- what are you taking? And the funny part of this is, so for some reason, I often find, so turmeric is, is an herb that's, you know, anti-inflammatory and it's recommended, you know, many different articles. Maybe I'm the only one who gets these people, but I've had several patients that don't do well with turmeric. And it's, it's funny because it's supposed to treat the exact condition that is actually aggravating for them. So, mm-hmm. again, right. it just shows how, how unique we all are just because you read an article that said that this herb is great for all these different things and you take it and it's not doing its thing. Well, maybe it's actually that, that herb is not good for you. Maybe you should try a different one. But people get so, um, they get so stuck in what they see on social media or articles that they read and they think it's good for everybody. But, again, we're, we're so unique and, you know, the thing that's good for your friend might not be good for you. Exactly. That's true. That's mm-hmm. absolutely true. But it does take, I think, uh, a team player. And, again, the, the doctors that I've worked with through the years, I think of them as my team players. I don't think of them ever as someone I go to to get an answer. I do my own research. <clears throat> And I go from there. And mm-hmm. if the doctor is unwilling to cooperate with me, then I get another doctor. It's that simple. Yeah, absolutely. Because get a second opinion. The bottom or, or line get somebody, is, I, get somebody you're yeah, resonate I, with. I, exactly. Because if if that you're going to be fighting with that person over treatment, that's not a, a part of your healing that you want to continue. I'm sure. So again, you want to have mm-hmm. the support of an informed educated person but they have to respect the patient too a lot of doctors do not respect their patients as i'm sure you've seen yeah again yeah exactly you just have to you you got to shop for your doctor like you shop for new shoes <laughs> uh, even more even more thoroughly than that i would say right? <laughs> like you're shopping for a wedding dress or something big right you know right yeah, you got to try them do. on walk around the store yeah that's not working let me go to try that shoes yeah do it's you have to lot of, um, see clients all over the world via zoom or do you have to see them in person or how does this work for you when when I work spiritually, so on my Divine Spiritual Essence website, I work with people all over the world. And when I see people in my clinic, well, that's different. I'm licensed in the state of Arizona, so you have to live in the state of Arizona to see me as a physician. But I can work with people spiritually uh, as a medical intuitive, and it doesn't matter where you live. And it, then it becomes, you know, an educational session. So if I hear, you know, endometriosis, uh, you know, fibroids, whatever it is, or you have this other condition, you have uh, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, or it could be, you know, some some things that people typically don't have. Master activation syndrome, it's another another zebra. And, but I can give them information. I can say, what state do you live in? What country do you live in? Okay, so this is how we would treat a condition like this in the United States. You need to look for this kind of a doctor. This is the test you want them to run, you know, so I can tell them things like that. Of, you know how how can they get treatment where they are, or mm-hmm. what test? You know what I lab test do I ask my physician to run? And I'll tell them this lab, you know this website. This is tell your doctor or a naturopathic doctor, whatever you have. This is what they what they should order and make sure that you know it's not this. 
for that. I love that. So you can help people globally, regularly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, work, I do all the time. So I split my time. I work two or three days in the clinic, and then I work two or three days spiritually. So my schedule is always rotating. I Sometimes I don't know what day it is anymore because I work on the weekends, and then <laughs> when next weekend I might be off. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I'm always what day is it. I have to look at my calendar to figure out what day it is. Because it, it just rotates all the time, so the days are typically never the same. So, and then, you know, times rotate too because I have, I often have clients not just in the United States and Canada, but also Europe, um, New Zealand, and Australia. So I try to make my times, available times on my uh, Divine Spiritual Essence website so that they fit both time zones. But they always fit for the United States and Canada, so it's easy. You know some of the same people we we know, like uh, Isaac Berry. He's been on the show a bunch of times. He's a lovely oh, shaman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. Bob Monroe, you mentioned Monroe Institute. I used to work for Bob when he was alive. Tells you how old really? I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm just recording yes. a, a project for them. I'm recording four tracks. I just sent it off last night. I can't tell you what it is yet, but um, I just recorded four tracks for them, and that will come out probably in July. That's wonderful. It's, a, it's still a great company, although Bob is certainly greatly missed. But, yeah, yeah, that's so nice. Small, Small world. world. Yeah, East Lake Berry is the, it, the first shaman I ever worked with, and uh, I was guided. I, I was actually at Arthur Finley College, and it was the first time I went there. It was uh, March, or first week in April, <clears throat> 2017. And I had just graduated from med school the previous summer. So I graduated from med school June 2016. Then you take the clinical boards. So I took the clinical boards in August. You take two boards in med school. First you take the science boards after two years, and then you take the clinical boards after you graduate. And then if you pass all your clinical boards, it's three days of testing. <laughs> it's a oh lot, my God. It's a lot <laughs> of testing. And, and then it takes them two months to correct it because these tests are national. And so if you know, all, they're all given at the same time, and they're all graded exactly the same. Uh, there are times when, you know, that could be a question that many, many of them, you know, there were two correct answers, and then they have to throw the question out. So it takes, I didn't get my results until the beginning of October, and I met this woman. I was studying craniosacral because I had just graduated. I was waiting for my license. So I said, well, I'm going to go study some craniosacral therapy with the Upledger Institute and emotional release technique while I wait for my license. And I met this woman there, and we never got to work with each other. And it turns out she lived, lived in Phoenix. I was actually taking the class in San Francisco. So I said, well, you know, let's get together, you know, two weeks from now. I have, a, like, a conference, a two-day conference in Phoenix. I live in Phoenix, but I was living in Prescott at the time. I was doing my residency up there. And... I came down and, I mean, I had barely, I had never worked with her. I barely remember what she looked like. And we met for dinner and she said, oh, I'm a medium and I have your mother with me. Are you open to receive messages? And I just looked at her. And this is only in 2017. I've been receiving messages now since 1992 and it's 2016. But for me, it was different. I was getting the message from 
somebody who died, a family member or a spirit guides. I was, you know, warned about accidents or people getting sick or whatever it was. But for somebody else to bring in a spirit, I wasn't sure if I actually believed it. And she said, I have, I know, are you open to receive messages? And I just kind of leaned back in my chair and sort of, you know, almost giggled. And I said, there is no way this woman is going to be able to tell me anything about my life because she doesn't even know I was born and raised in the country of Sweden and it's very different over there. And, but sure enough, it was very obvious that it was my mom because she could tell me things that, uh, you know, I went fishing with my grandmother and laying the nest in the ocean um, when I was a child. And so it was very clear that it was my mother. And she said, well, your mom is telling me you have to go to Arthur Finley College and study mediumship. And I said, I can't do that. I just graduated. I got to make money. I'm, you know, I'm in a residency. And, you know, I just, I can't do that. And not right now. And, I, you know, after the third time of this message, I said, okay, fine. I will figure out a way to do it. And so six months later, that was my first trip to Arthur Finley College. And... I'm looking in the bookstore. I'm, I'm trying to find a book to read on the airplane from the long flight home from England all the way back to Phoenix. And I can't, I'm thinking I wanted a book on mediumship because I'm there for the first time. I'm just amazed how, how well everything was going. I could bring in spirits, you know, for other people. And I, I, it was just a mind blown. And so I'm looking in the bookstore, and the only book that speaks to me is this book on shamanism. And I don't really know anything about shamanism, but he's like Barry. <laughs> and so I get two books about shamanism. And I go back to the States, and I'm home for maybe a month, and I'm cooking dinner, and the spirit world is just tapping my shoulder. No, you have to look up Isaac Barry right now. You have to look it up. You have to look it up. Where is he teaching? And I'm like, I, stop, I don't have time. I'm cooking dinner. Like, I'll do it later. No, <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm literally turning off the food on the stove, and I'm like, fine, I'll look it up now. I go get the computer. I Google Eats Like Beery and find that he's going to be at the Sacred Earth Foundation in Colorado in September. And now it's, uh, you know, May. I think it was May. So I, I contact them, and I say, hey, do you have any room left? Because it was only going to be 12 people, I think, small group. And I was, you know, participant number 10 or 11. I just got in. And so, and that was my first introduction to shamanism. And we were at, you know, 9,000 feet in the Colorado mountains in this little teepee uh, in the yard, uh, you know, for three days. And I was working, uh, you know, with these other 11 people or 12 people with Isaac. <clears throat> and that's when he told me you were a born shaman. You can see, I can see the lines in your hand. You're, you see things. You're clairvoyant. You, you came into the world like that. See this line right here? That's, that's what that tells me. And so, of course, like every time when my teacher told me these things, I would say, no, I was, no I'm not. <laughs> I, I couldn't have been born. So, and I did the same thing with my teachers or the family. You were a born medium. <clears throat> no, I wasn't. <laughs> and they look at me and they say, oh, yeah, you were. Start to think back now. Think back when you saw your father, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, they were all right, but I had suppressed all of that growing up. And it wasn't until... I had my near-death experiences that all of a sudden, all these um, clairvoyants and clairaudience, all that now came, you know, surfaced to a whole new different level than it, than it had in my childhood. But it's just interesting how we, how we suppress that. And I, I talk a lot about it in my book because I wrote my book 
uh, I mean, the, the title of my book is Med School After Menopause, The Journey on My Soul, but it's to inspire people that it's never too late to change your life. Uh, if I went to med school and I was 54, I'm pretty sure anybody can transform their life. If you want to change something, just change it. Just go for it. You know, just do it slowly. I, I was working and, and doing all these other things. I took my prereqs at night or early in the morning, uh, you know, from 8 to 10 or, or evening classes from 6 to 9. There are always ways to, um, to change your life. But um, my book, so that's the title, is to help people transform their lives. But in the book, I talk a lot about, I tell them my story, my near-death experiences in detail, and, and how all that clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience came about, um, and how to bring it out in each person that reads the book. Because we are intuitive it's a, creatures. We are all intuitive. Yeah, and it's, it's a I mean, lovely we're, we're all book. Mediums to a, yeah, to a certain extent, we're all mediums. It's just some people are supposed to work with it, and some people are just supposed to you know, listen to their messages and go about their own life. So, but we all, we're all intuitive. We all have intuition. We all pick up the phone and say, I knew that was going to be, you know, my, you, mom, or you, my brother. Uh, we all have in, intu- intuition about things. But it's just a matter of bringing that out. And sometimes it becomes critical, because I remember when Isaac was on the show, and he talked about a woman that came to see him, and she uh, looked like an American, but she wasn't from here. She was from South America, and she was perfectly coiffed and, you know, hair and nails done and everything. And <clears throat> Itzhak said, look, you're a shaman, and you've got to do this work. It's important that you do this work for your own health. And she didn't want mm-hmm. to do it. She mm-hmm. said, no, I just don't want to do it. Yes, I know. My whole family, they're all, you know, they all do this. They're all shamans. I don't want to do it. That's why I left. And he said, but you don't have a choice. You have to do this. <laughs> well, she she yeah. didn't. And then she came back to see him, and she had cancer. And yeah. he explained to her, this is what where it came from. You know, I told you, yeah. you don't have a choice here. You have to do this work. And you chose not to, and so the energy went off in a different direction. But it was a fascinating yeah. story because here was somebody who had came from generations and generations of this and and just said, "No, I don't want that's not for me." But unfortunately, um it came back in a very negative way energetically. Absolutely. I I think that's absolutely true. And he told me the same thing. You have to work with this. It's part you incarnated for this, and that's why I now have two businesses so I work spiritually with people <clears throat> you know using my using uh, shamanism and medium medium mystic uh, skills and psychic skills uh, all together as one and then you know uh, splitting my time and then you know helping people but even though I'm working as a physician two or three days a week you know those skills are still there and then you know but then I step into it fully part-time but I think that's absolutely true because we are we are intuitive creatures and when we suppress that energy we are we are energy and that energy needs to go somewhere but if it's not having the correct outlet it's going to get stagnant somewhere in your body and it's so important to to um, tune into that true essence and that 
that heart. I think it, it, the way I explain it to people is tune into your heart. Don't ask your mind. Don't ask your brain. Ask your heart the question you're trying to get an answer to. You know, how does it feel in your body when you ask that question? How does it feel if I say, you know, you should be an accountant? How does that feel? Well, that doesn't feel good at all. How does it feel if I say, you should be, you know, working in shamanism or you should be a counselor or you should be a nurse or teacher or whatever it is. And that, that feeling, you know, that we feel in our heart is different. It, you know, it's that resonance of what is the right thing. Because we resonate and entrain with everything. We resonate and entrain with other humans and other animals. We even resonate and entrain with plants. So <clears throat> we resonate and entrain with everything whether it has a heart or not. And you can read about that in uh, Stephen Harrod Booner's book, The Secret Teachings of Plants, The Intelligence of the Heart and mm -hmm. Direct Perception of Nature. And he talks about that and how we, I mean, we sync up with everything. And when you talk about people having a green thumb, they talk to their plants. There's truth to that because they talk to their plants, they resonate and entrain with that plant. The plant knows it. You know, trees and mushrooms have uh, elaborate networks of communication. Now, in your book, <clears throat> some people might be surprised to know this, but you've had a lot of tragedy also that you've had to deal with, you know, loss of a number of pets and um, also your, your marriage also uh, suffered through through this or changed and transformed through your going to medical school. So there, were, there was a lot of, of change and loss and transformation in your life all the way around. So you, you went through quite a bit. Yes, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, so, you know, the, the divorce rate for people who have had near-death experiences are astronomical, it's like 70% or something. And you become a different person. I definitely became a different person. I, I'm not, I didn't perceive myself in the world the same way I did before because before my near-death experience, I was a complete atheist. I didn't believe in anything, and now I work with the spirit world. <laughs> so it's quite a drastic transformation. And yeah. my husband married, married that person who didn't believe in anything, right? But So it's really interesting because we're still best friends, and it had to come to that. It, we, we separated when I was uh, third year in medical school, and it just, we just sort of grew apart. It wasn't that we were having affairs or anything like that. We just, it had been a slow and steady uh, growing apart, and we just knew we each had to sort of go do our own thing. But we incarnated soul family because it was his mother that was my, uh, spirit, my earthly spiritual guide. She is the one who helped me find my way spiritually. She is the one who explained to me that I had had a near-death experience because I, could not, I didn't understand what had happened. And she noticed the change in me, and she said, tell me, did anything happen? And I told her how I had left my body and I was still there and, you know, all the different things that had happened. And she said, what you had is called a near-death experience. And so she helped me over many, many years to helped me develop uh, spiritually and suggested different books to read and all these different things. So we, we definitely incarnated as a soul family. And uh, my ex-husband had three sisters, two older sisters and a younger sister. And I will always look at his younger sister as my soul sister because we, are, we will always be close. And I know we incarnated together to uh, go through this life together. So it's, 
it's fascinating. So even though, you know, I had to go through this divorce, but I'm still closer to his younger sister, my soul sister, uh, probably closer than her and, and one more friend that I can think of that uh, definitely a soul sister, uh, a dear friend. But it's, it's amazing because here, you know, most people go through a divorce and they, they don't want to ever speak to anybody again. But uh, I'm still part of that family, and I still consider everybody as part of mine. That's really nice. You're one of the lucky ones, I think. Really, that's great. But so much in your life has changed rapidly through the years. I mean, through so many different adventures. And I commend you, my God, you know, when you talk about everything you had to do, all of your exams, your medical school, trials and tribulations, I'm tired just listening. Right. <laughs> I don't know where you're oh, getting my energy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, there is, a chapter in the, there is a chapter in the book. Let me see what I call it. I think I called it, um, I think, oh, the chapter 13, I'm looking at my book, Death and Transformation. That was... Um, the spring semester of third of third year and fall semester of fourth year in medical school, when there was some some major event every month. You know, my dog died, my separated from my husband, my brother in law passed away, I became a U.S. citizen, my cat died, uh, my my ex husband's uncle died. He was like an uncle to me too, because I had been in the family since I was seventeen, and he married us. He passed away wow. then. My my dad's dearest friend that I grew up with. When you're a child and you say, "If my dad dies, I want him. To, I want him to be my father," right? It was my parents always was their best friend. Then he passed away, and then my mother-in-law passed away in November. I, I probably missed a couple of things, but it was the entire year, <laughs> and I'm in med school and I'm trying to deal with all these different things. It was absolutely nuts. Looking back at it, I don't even know. I don't even know how I did it. But yeah, you know, when you're in that situation, you're just you don't you don't have time to process, you know, everything that happens and all the tragedies that happen around you. You just kind of you process it's a tragedy. You go to the funeral and then you go back to studying because you have an exam tomorrow. Uh, it was it was absolutely nuts. But it's through those through those dark times that we really transform. You know, life is a roller coaster, and I tell people it's like a, being in Disneyland riding that roller coaster. Sometimes you're on top of the hill and everything is great, and then you go down to that valley and life just seems miserable, and it's just one problem after another. But if, if any of the listeners out there are in that valley right now, just know nothing ever stays the same for any, forever. Energy, you know, always moves, and nothing ever stays stagnant. So things are going to shift, and it's just a matter of, of keep going because things will get better as they, as you go along and you can't see we can't see into the future you know not not regularly at least but we we don't know what's coming all the great new uh, adventures and and happy times are lying ahead but we have to go through i think everybody has to go through difficult periods in their life because otherwise we wouldn't learn if we just sat on the beach in hawaii drinking pina coladas all day what would we learn <laughs> nothing <laughs> Right? Yeah. It is through these hardships that we get transformed (laughs) and we become somebody else. We do. We become those those beautiful diamonds. Well, Dr. Lottie, how do people get a hold of you? Let's say they want to work with you. What's the best way to find you? Uh, The best way to find me is 
I have two websites. One is Dr. Lottie, D-R-L-O-T-T-E.com. And the websites are connected. So you, that's my uh, clinical website. And you can go there. You can click on Work with Dr. Lottie Spiritually, and it takes you to the other website, which is DivineSpiritualEssence.com. And on the DivineSpiritualEssence.com, you can see all the different um, spiritual sessions I offer, which is Medical Intuitive, Ancestral Healing, and then Wholehearted, which is either uh, bringing in a, a spirit from the spirit world, a loved one, um, or psychic readings. Sometimes people come to a crossroad and they don't know what foot to stand on. So that's a wholehearted session. And then social media, I'm uh, on Instagram, I'm Valentine. And uh, also on my Divine Spiritual Essence, you can sign up for my emails. I send out maybe two or three emails a month. And uh, many times it's about the podcast guests I'm interviewing to help um, people transform their life and uh, create healing uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I bring in a lot of different kinds of healers, doctors, uh, advocates for endometriosis, uh, functional neurologists, and different kinds of healers that people haven't heard about or are hard to find because it's not part of the mainstream. But then I also bring in uh, mediums. Uh, I had Isaac Berry on my podcast as well. He was my first guest um, because I wouldn't be where I am today if uh, I hadn't met Isaac. So, so many different types of people that can help create healing for people. That's so great, Dr. Lottie. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We've learned so much and so appreciate your time in joining us. Good. Well, thank you so much for having me as a guest. and I enjoyed it very much. Well, you take care, and everybody will be back next week with another great show. We're going to be talking about herbs, magical herbs, and survival herbs. So be sure to join us. We're going to have a great time again. Until then, see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.